And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. Bringing you the news behind the news, the story behind the story. We're streaming live on iHeartRadio and available as a podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast directories. And you can follow me on Twitter at right now, Jim Dawes. I'd love to hear from listeners. You can shoot me an email at rightnowjimdawes at gmail.com or call the vent line and leave your rants at 772-245-0750. That's 772-245-0750. Well, we've made it through another week. One week closer to the light at the end of the tunnel that that El Dorado when we can come through this foolishness. Uh what is it now? It's April 3rd, so we've got 27 days to overcome these so-called guidelines. I I fully expect by the time we get to April 31st, uh, we're going to be on the downhill side of this this so-called curve that they're trying to flatten. And I believe, and you can mark the tape now, check me out when it's done, I believe that the the deaths as a result of this are going to be far, far less than this hundred thousand number, which is the bottom of the uh, the graph for uh, for Fauci and uh, Dr. Burks. I think uh, that you know they're airing all of these modelers are airing on the side of caution, uh, so that they can they can make the case that uh, everybody needs to be locked in their homes and uh, not allowed to go to work. Hey, we're going to be joined in the second half of today's show by Rosemary Gibson. She's an award-winning author and a uh, an editor over at uh, JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association. Her new book is China RX, How Our Dangerous Dependence on Chinese Pharmaceuticals Has Put America in This uh, Terrible Situation. So I want to start off, I guess, by talking about this testing game, you know, the the big media narrative is that uh, Trump has been slow to test. And because of that, this virus has, uh, has gotten a head start. Well, the truth of the matter is the United States is conducting far, far more tests than any other government. And, uh, and the, the real tests that were useful that didn't have such a high error rate that, uh, you know, it was worthless uh, only came online a couple of weeks ago, and already we're testing a hundred thousand people a day now. And uh, and the, the the neat little trick that the media's got going is the more we test, the more we find out people are infected, and they used uh, they used the lack of testing as a uh, an attack line, and then they use the number of people infected as a result of all the testing that the Trump administration is rolling out as an attack line. So that's why you see Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Oh, we got to get testing. We got to do a lot of tests. 
And then when it's discovered that, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people infected this country as there is worldwide, then uh, they they accuse the president. You know, that's proof that the president's response was was slow. The truth of the matter in all of this is while the president was closing the borders and ramping up our response to this, the Democrats were still bogged down in their impeachment hoax based on a uh, a phone call with the Ukrainian president. And, uh, and you know, there are tapes of uh, Democrat politicians in states and cities and, and Congress saying that, uh, you know, the president was overreacting uh, by closing the borders. They were calling him a racist. The most effective thing that could have been done at that time was to stop the travel. The communists allowed hundreds of thousands of people to get on pla- uh, planes from the affected region of uh, Wuhan and travel throughout the world. That didn't happen in the United States, and you can see the difference because it gave us time to to react. And uh, and we see what happened to Italy and Iran and other places that had heavy uh, traffic from those affected regions. Yeah, well, while the president was uh, focusing on the response, they were they were bogged down in impeachment. They had all of Congress locked up and the media uh, distracted. They were running all over the streets saying there's no cause for concern. Just calm down. Here's a clip of uh, Nancy Nervous Nan herself on February 24th, a full month after the president had mentioned in his State of the Union speech this emerging crisis and almost a month after he had closed travel from China. Uh, do you think it's fair for Mitch McConnell to suggest that impeachment uh, slowed down the federal response? Well, I guess we'll we'll play this clip. This will set up the second one. This is Nancy on MSNBC asking about whether or not impeachment uh, took Congress's eye off the ball. Uh, do you think it's fair for Mitch McConnell to suggest that impeachment slowed down the federal response? No. Oh, that's so sad. Uh, they can't handle their jobs, I guess, uh, because it, it, what are they saying? We ignored it. It was self-evident. Most people knew about it, and certainly those in responsibility. So most people knew about it, and everybody in responsibility. Well, here's Nancy Pelosi on February 24th. When she was back home in her San Francisco um, home district. You should come to Chinatown. Precautions have been taken by our city. Uh, We know that there's a concern about tourism traveling all throughout the world. uh, But we think it's very safe to be in Chinatown and hope that others will come. Now, you ought to see that clip. She is surrounded by people just packed in together. There was no social distancing going on there. So Nancy Pelosi, she now wants you to believe that uh, an impeachment had no effect on this, that the president should have been on the job sooner, despite the fact that he had been on the job almost a month sooner. And at the same time, Nancy was saying the president was asleep at the switch. She was uh, urging people to go to restaurants and bars and parades and, uh, and to keep tourism going. And what, we, what we've learned in the Trump presidency is that the Democrats are guilty of whatever you accuse them of doing. And now we see that Adam Schiff, at the direction of Nancy Pelosi, is going to launch another investigation uh, into the 
this time into the coronavirus response. And that's designed, of course, to put the administration on the defensive because the Democrats want to obfuscate the point that they were engaged in this partisan witch hunt when they should have been uh, doing their job. The House Intelligence Committee, which should have been sounding the alarm on this early, was bogged down in impeachment at the in, under the leadership of Adam Schiff. And just like the Russiagate hoax, just like this Ukraine impeachment, the Democrats, if they go down this road, they're going to just expose themselves further. Matt Gates and, and Jim Jordan and John Radcliffe and the other members of that uh, committee are absolutely going to tear the Democrats a new one. I say bring it on. If, if you want to go down that road, if you want to turn the coronavirus crisis into another one of these partisan witch hunts, well, you go for it, pencil neck. Come on, let's go, because it's going to be found out that, in fact, it was the globalist policies that Donald Trump has been standing against and trying to to uh, uh, to reverse. It was these open borders policies that the Democrats have pushed down everybody's throats that have landed us in this mess. But, you know. At this point, the only hope that the Democrats have of electing feeble, absent-minded Mr. Magoo Joe Biden is to try to drag uh, the administ- uh, Trump and the administration down because the truth of the matter is they have been a, a tour de force on the response to this. You know, can you second-guess people? Can you hope that they did better? Hell yeah. Anytime you're taking the lead, you're subject to criticism. But this is uh, this is an amazing response. They're they're mobilizing on a dime, and uh, and they've got the full force of this administration mobilized in support of the states. And so, what you can expect from the Democrats is they're going to lean heavily on this uh, selectively edited. Uh, video clip where the president's at one of his rallies saying that the Democrats saying that the response to the coronavirus was slow was a hoax. They're, of course, going to characterize that as Trump said coronavirus was a hoax. That particular line has been discredited, actually found to be false, pants on fire false, in all of these fact-checking organizations. But uh, it doesn't matter because they'll continue to tell the slide. Joe Biden's already out there and the Democrats are out there with the videotapes telling the slide, just like the, the fine people on both sides lie. Democrats rely on, on lies to try to, to advance their political aims. But, you know, like I said, if the, if they want to play that game, uh, the, the, Trump campaign can turn turn around and play clips of Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden criticizing uh, Trump for stopping air travel from the affected regions. They can play clips of um, of Democrats in New York and and uh, California urging people to go to parades and 
and uh, and ignore the coronavirus. And most importantly, Trump can point out that it's the Democrats that have been these champ- champion of globalist policies that have allowed us to be put in this weakened position to respond to this crisis. And he could ask, what exactly have Joe Biden and the Democrats done during this crisis to be to do anything constructive? The House finally passed this coronavirus relief bill, but it was only after Nancy Pelosi held it up for a week because she wanted to load it up with uh, Green New Deal projects and uh, identity politics projects and lots of lots of pork for her Democrat constituents. Hell, the, de- the Democrats haven't even done anything on a charitable basis that I can see. The Trump campaign has been out there donating meals and delivering meals to first responders. Democrats are just sitting back, criticizing the president. Hey, we got to go run out to a break. Stick with us. We'll be right back after these messages. If you are trying to quit drinking or doing too many drugs, listen to me. You don't know me and we'll never meet. I had a problem like you once. I drank and used to party a little too much till it got out of control and almost ruined my life. I realized I needed help to fix my problem before it totally destroyed me. If you've tried to fix your drinking and drug problem and you know you can't do it alone, you need to call the National Treatment Advisors. They'll immerse you into a 30-day program to replace your old habits with new habits and totally change your life. And if you have PPO, private health insurance, the entire program may be covered. Fix your problem right now before it gets any worse. Get clean. Call now and learn more. 800-957-6209-800-957-6209-800-957-6209. That's 800-957-6209. Well, I got a tweet from Rocky with an I. She's one of the bells on Bells of Liberty right here on the Mojo Five O radio network. And she pointed out to me in response to yesterday's show where I was praising Kroger for giving uh, bonuses to their workers during this trying time that uh, actually Lowe's and Walmart are doing the same paying them a bonus uh, for dangerous duty. And so uh, that's that's great news. You know, one of the things I've noticed recently on all of these uh, cable news shows is everybody's a podcaster now. <laughs> all of these, you know, highfalutin uh, production values have, have fallen by the wayside and now got all of these hosts sitting in their living rooms and standing in their front yards doing remote uh, broadcasts. You got, uh, uh, you got Lou Dobbs at home. You've got Chris Como at home. You got uh, uh, just a lot of shows, you know, I, <laughs> and it's interesting to see. I, I don't really mind it at all. <laughs> I'm fine with it. I don't, I don't need, you know, all of that studio production and everything. I, I think it's, uh, it's much more, uh, personable to see them at home. I, I'd have to say that I've got higher 
you know, I'm, I'm sitting in my home studio, but I've got higher production values than I've been seeing on Fox and, and other of these, uh, these cable news outlets. I do worry about the production crews that they're forcing to go out and travel to these, you know, not all of them are by Skype. Some of them, you can tell they've, uh, they've got a, a, uh, a teleprompter set up and they've got, uh, they've got people working the camera and, uh, and they're, they're sort of, you know, uh, protecting the talent while kind of putting the, their production crews at, uh, at, at danger. But, uh, Everybody's a podcaster now. You know, when I, when I started into uh, webcasting, it was called back in the days. It was before the, the iPod, so there was no podcasting. There was not even any uh, MP3 format. What uh, we did is we broadcast on what they called Real Player. Uh, there were several other players, but Real Player was the big one. And, uh, and this was when I was uh, working... Um, try to get Pat Buchanan elected and we were trying to get out the America first agenda. And, uh, we were broadcasting on the internet and, uh, having a lot of big names on there. People really didn't understand, uh, you know, the, the early days of webcasting. So, you know, I could call up and get the, uh, uh, the president of the council on foreign relations on, I could get, uh, you know, mainstream presidential candidates on. I was doing, uh, probably, five or uh, 6,000 listeners a week. It was a weekly show. And, uh, and those, uh, those were considered very small numbers back before the fragment fragmentation of, uh, of media. Now podcasters, you know, get those kind of numbers and, uh, they're considered to be doing pretty good because everybody in the brothers got a podcast. But, um, now everybody's a podcaster and I think it's going to further blur the lines between the, this establishment legacy media and uh, alternative sources of media, like, uh, like you're hearing right now with Jim Dawes. Oh, let's see. Stacey Abrams has decided that she would be happy to serve as Joe Biden's running mate. Oh God, please let that happen. Stacey Abrams. I thought she was governor of Georgia. Wasn't she, last I heard from her, she was claiming that she won the Georgia governor's election and that uh, that she was the rightful governor? Joe Biden and Stacey Abrams. <laughs> that would be a, a match made in heaven as far as the Republican uh, National Committee uh, is concerned. Stacey Abrams can't manage her own budget. She's deeply in credit card debt and uh, is, is way behind on taxes on her own house. She's a perfectly nice lady. I've I've uh, had conversations with her in the Georgia House of Representatives where she was the minority leader. But no, at this time of coronavirus, we don't need Stacey Abrams. It would it would be sort of like um, it would remind you of. Uh, driving Miss Daisy <laughs> with uh, Stacey Abrams being the chauffeur and old Joe Biden uh, riding in the back of the car, second guessing all the time. That's what he's really good at is second guessing. 
he's desperately seeking relevance. And so, um, you know, he's, he's offering to have a call with Donald Trump. Donald Trump said, yeah, be glad to do that. And then Joe Biden came back and said, well, you know, we got to get our staffs to set that up. What, does he not remember the phone number of the White House? He can't make a call? He hasn't been hunkered down in his basement long enough studying this issue to have a call off the cuff? He's got to study it and get his staff to to set this up? It's really kind of unbelievable. Here's a clip. This is a quick one, a quick Joe Biden gaff clip. Stand by. Here it comes. I've been doing that forever, though. There's a, there's a deal we have. I have uh, five grandchildren and. Uh... Uh, Joe Biden, I have five grandchildren on TV. He says that Joe Biden has seven grandchildren. He can't even remember how many grandchildren he's got. He wants to help with the, the coronavirus response. And, you know, he couldn't even do it gracefully. Donald Trump threw him a lifeline and said, yeah, if you want to be part of this response, I'll, I'll definitely take a call with you. Here was Biden's uh, backhanded uh, um, insult to Trump when he was offering this call. The Trump administration suggested that I should call the president and offer to help. Well, I'm happy to hear he'll take my call. My team's working with him to set such a call up. And I've been offering my advice and proposing policies uh, for what I thought should be done for the last several weeks. I said back on March 12th, when I released my initial plan for COVID-19, that the president is welcome to adopt every single thing I suggested he thought was worthwhile. The problem is he had already adopted everything you had suggested that was worthwhile. That plan that that uh, Biden released was plagiarized from what the president was actually doing. It was doing two things that were wildly dishonest. It was saying the president wasn't doing it. And then it was trying to claim that Biden was suggesting it. One of the things he uh, supposedly suggested was that the president put a military officer in charge of the supply chain. Well, yeah, yesterday's uh, press conference, the president trotted out Rear Admiral John Polachek, a Navy supply officer, an admiral, no less, that has been put in charge of the logistics in response to this crisis. Here's his uh, a clip from Rear Admiral John Polachek. But that's not always the case. We have lots of folks that want to help. I believe you will see in the coming days the use of the Defense Production Act in creative ways to help people that are not doing this today. So Joe Biden's got a huge problem. He's been relegated to his basement. He's become all but irrelevant. When he is on TV, he can't even read his teleprompter. He's got stumbling, bumbling appearances. And he is basically uh, sitting down in his basement acting something like uh, Tokyo Rose, telling people that, you know, the American people try to trying to uh, discourage them, saying that the administration's not doing enough, it's doing it too slow, Second guess, G.I. He's got a lot of buzzwords he goes through. He doesn't say anything of substance. Anything he does uh, suggest is already being done. 
can't even keep track of how many grandchildren he's got. Oh, please, please make Stacey Abrams your running mate. That would be hilarious. There's no way Joe Biden can come out of this looking good. If he uh, makes that call with Trump, Trump will uh, simply say, oh, yes, Joe, that's nice. We're already doing that. Anything else? Hey, we got to run out to a break. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by Rosemary Gibson, author of China Rx, how our reliance on China has put us in this spot. Stick with us. We'll be right back after two messages right here on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Between prepping ingredients, setting the table, and planning your tomorrow, sometimes you need an extra hand with dinner. Delta Faucet is here to help. Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot with Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology and fill it with the perfect amount of water. Done. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to see how voice IQ can fill your dog's bowl, wash your hands, and more. If you have thyroid eye disease and the pain in the back of your eye is forcing bad words from your mouth, it might be time to discover another treatment option. To learn more, visit treatmyted.com. That's treatmyted.com. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an America First perspective. Well, this coronavirus has revealed to the American public that our leaders have allowed communist China to capture the manufacturer of our life-saving medicines, including such basic things as antibiotics. Now we find ourselves dependent on the same communist dictatorship that caused the current pandemic for the drugs we need to treat it. Rosemary Gibson is an award-winning author and advisor to organizations that advance the public's interest in health care and an editor at the Journal of American Medicine. She's authored four books, including her new book, China Rx, Exposing the Risks of America's Dependence on China. You can find all of her books on Amazon, and you can find her online at rosemarygibson.org. Rosemary, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jim. So you've been raising the alarm for years. No one would listen. Tell us how and why our leaders allowed China to capture such a strategically important industry like pharmaceuticals. Well, I predicted this uh, current situation, Jim, in China RX two years ago. And I just went back to look at the preface where I said, in the event of a natural disaster or global pandemic, if China shuts the door on exports, the United States will be waiting in line with other countries for critical medicines. And here we are. Well, in the meantime, and China has, uh, has been shipping us lots of fentanyl that has caused a, uh, you know, an opioid uh, a disaster in our country with uh, tens of thousands of deaths every year. And, and now we find ourselves relying on the same communist nation to provide us with our life-saving drugs as well. That's a, that's a malfeasance on behalf of our political and economic leaders that is just breathtaking. Uh, I think we knew that, uh, you know, much of our consumer goods had been offshored to China, but 
Uh, it's almost uh, you can't hardly wrap your head around the fact that uh, we would allow a, uh, a malign actor like a uh, communist China to capture this industry. Can you t- give us an idea on how this happened? Uh, were they engaged in predatory um, you know, pricing and and uh, and just capture this industry? Or is it just simply a case of bad decisions? Uh, well, it's uh, a real plan on the part of China to become the global pharmacy to the world. And when I was working, it took three years to under, to figure this out about how dependent we are, because this has been hidden from all of us. And the turning point, Jim, was when we opened up free trade with China in 2000, and China joined the WTO the following year. So I was sitting in my office where I was, um, where I am right now, and I had this moment of awakening and realizing within two or three years of that, that's when we lost our last penicillin plant. Unbelievable. Our, our last aspirin plant. We cannot make aspirin in the United States. People don't realize what a life-saving drug aspirin is for, you know, keeping uh, fever down. Uh, and we can't make vitamin C. And that's where what I could easily find. And that's when the landslide began of the outsourcing of what the core chemicals and the and the key ingredients to make our medicines. And how did it happen? You're exactly right about the predatory pricing. I have you know the data that show that we lost penicillin capability when China in two thousand and four dumped it on the global market at below market prices. They kept that price low for four years and drove out most of their competitors in the U.S. and other countries. And then they raised the price once they got global dominant market share. That's the playbook. Sort of reminds you of self-serve gas stations. You know, they lowered the price to begin with until you got used to it, and then they jacked it right back up. But now we're without this critical uh, sector in our economy. I believe most of those uh, those pharmaceuticals used to be manufactured in Puerto Rico. All of those factories were packed up and shipped over to China. And now, you know, Puerto Rico is in the position of declaring bankruptcy. Well, even before that, we were making, in the 1980s, we were making these core chemicals and ingredients right here in the United States. United States, Europe, Japan, we accounted for 80% of the production. And... Puerto Rico wasn't making those key starting materials. That's a difference. Puerto Rico was making the finished drugs, make, making the active ingredients, but the core chemicals, that's, that's a different beast. We were making all, all, most of that here in this country, and we lost it. And our manufacturing base has collapsed. It, and this is for medicine. These are things we need for our survival. Well, if there is a silver lining to this current crisis, maybe it's uh, pulling the blinders off of people on just how uh, vulnerable we have become to a communist dictatorship that is uh, bound and determined to uh, surplant us on the on the world stage. And now we see that our leaders in uh, in Congress are starting to stir. Recently, Marsha Blackburn has introduced a bill to bring back uh, medicine manufacturing. Here's a clip. I got a new piece of legislation filed yesterday. It's the SAMC bill, Securing America's Medicine Cabinet. This is going to help bring new technologies and also bring 
drug manufacturing back to the U.S. Uh, pleased to have Senator Menendez as my lead co-sponsor on this. We're working together to secure our nation's drug supply. And we know that uh, Senator uh, Cotton of Arkansas and also um, Hawley of Missouri are are pushing uh, these bills. Uh, do you think uh, that, that these efforts are going to be successful or are there strong lobbies, lobbies in, uh, in Washington that are going to fight this? Well, there's a draft executive order that uh, is waiting uh, to be signed, and that would in many ways take the next step from what's been proposed, and that is it would require the Department of Defense, the VA, and Health and Human Services, which procure a lot of medicines, to buy American. And so all the bills in Congress are a good start, but the money has to flow. If you and I start up a business, we want to make generic drugs here, we need contracts. We need to know who's going to buy them. And so that's how we we have to unleash the, the money that taxpayers are spending, and that money's going to China to support their growth of their generic industry. We have to have that money come here to support the development and production of critical drugs right here in the United States. And that's what's missing. And the executive order is still there, and its fate, frankly, is uncertain. And it's remarkable that there are special interests in Washington that want our country, to, by their pushing for inaction, to continue to remain dependent on a country that has threatened us, has threatened to withhold medicines. Yeah, there's uh, means, there's there, there, there have been government yeah. officials writing in uh, official state media in China that uh, you know if the United States got too robust in its uh, its reaction to this this virus and tried to bring back our manufacturing and our pharmaceutical industry that uh, they could respond by uh, withholding life saving drugs from us and if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about their intentions and and their uh, their posture toward the United States, and you're you're just not paying attention. What's especially maddening about this issue is that a lot of these drugs that we've offshored the manufacturing of to China were developed in American universities and R and D labs, uh, paid for by hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayer investment. So we we spend the money to develop these drugs, and then we we offshore the economic benefit to China. I mean, it's almost as if we have people making decisions that uh, that do not have America's best interest at heart. Well, it's um, I think it'd be uh, great to see these people, folks that are promoting, you know, let's keep it in China and let's not buy American to come out on radio shows across America and defend that, or to testify in the Senate. You know that threat that was made by the Chinese government. When you're dealing with medicines to withhold them, that's a threat to kill people because no, people will die. Nothing less. And as I said, that's the same China that allows the manufacture and, uh, and exportation of fentanyl that has been a, a killer of many hundreds of thousands of people at this point, uh, up to 70,000 people a year. Mm. So while I've got you, I know you're a keen observer of the healthcare system and all of the issues there. Can you tell us whether or not these uh, these stories we're seeing about the the possible breakdown of our uh, of our healthcare system being you know over overwhelmed by this virus is that real news or is that uh, media uh, hyperbole? 
Well, in in places where there is a, a surge in cases, your hospitals are designed to have some surge capacity. But when you have a substantial number of people all at once getting sick and needing intensive care, that can create problems. I will say about the shortages of masks and ventilators, um, one of the reasons we had a shortage of ventilators is because China stopped shipping the circuit boards to make them. The other thing that we've learned is that there were um, companies making masks. They were available here in warehouses, and they were being sold to the highest bidder, and they were being sold to foreign buyers. This was early on. So uh, there needs to be a close look at who was selling these masks when we needed them and who was buying them. And that's why the the UK set up an export ban. They said that companies, if you bought product for the United Kingdom, you cannot turn around and sell it for a higher price that you get from somebody else. You have to keep that product in the United Kingdom. So we also know that uh, Chinese investors have bought into the American healthcare system and own huge stakes in American hospitals and clinics. Uh, over in Australia, we saw that um, one of their big investors, Chinese investors, uh, pulled out and shut down 34 separate hospitals at the peak of this crisis. Is that something that could come to the United States? Well, I think it's clear that China wants to infiltrate our healthcare system and you know, we have a committee on foreign investment in the United States that's supposed to be there to protect um, the United States from investments that would harm our economy and way of life. And we might want to think about uh, restrictions on um, foreign investors, especially Chinese investors, in our healthcare system. You know, Rosemary. Yeah. Case, yeah. I was just going to say, in, in the Cold War. Anybody that had intertwined our economy with the communist Soviet Union would have been, you know, rightly seen as someone that was betraying the nation. And it it just astounds me that uh, we've pushed forward with this globalism to the point that uh, we're integrating a, uh, you know, a a communist dictatorship. And, uh, And this has been happening for years and years. And I guess I'd ask you if you think that this uh, this current crisis is going to drop the blinders from people's eyes and if we're going to start getting back to uh to you know domestic supply chains and taking care of our own people we'll see supply chains come back here if the situation gets so bad might have to get a lot worse to convince companies to pull out of china but well, bear in mind that there are companies that want to sell branded high-cost generics and uh, high-cost branded drugs, the new drugs in China, and the Chinese government wants that. And so there's huge incentive for them to want to please the Chinese government to uh, get in there and sell their product. That dynamic is not going to go away. I'm concerned that while they're doing that, they're throwing 90% of our medicines, the generics, under the bus and pushing production there to China to help it achieve its global aim to become the pharmacy to the world. So uh, it's really unclear about our medicine situation. It, it's really striking that there are special interests fighting 
against having the Department of Defense purchase medicines made in the United States. Stunning, really. Given the, given the national security concerns and also for our veterans and for the Health and Human Services stockpile. At the same time, on a positive note, there are some very fine people and uh, typically smaller companies that want to come in and fill this void, make product here for our military veterans. And the federal government just has to turn on the spigot and um, have them be part of the supply chain. Well, one of those emerging companies is uh, Bright Path Labs, and they're uh, they're gearing up to start manufacturing uh, this hydroxychloroquine uh, in this country. Here's a clip from one of their spokesmen. This crisis has exposed our dependency on the outside world to get life-saving medicines. 80% of U.S. drop components are coming from China and India. And India, one of the top producers of hydroxychloroquine, banned its exports last week. So unless we bring back medicine independence to our country, this is going to continue to be a problem, not just for COVID-19, but also for other uh, crises that we may have ahead. We have to... So I just wanted to ask you if you've got any insights on uh, whether or not this uh, this chloroquine and the Z-Packs, ethromycin and, and zinc, um, will uh, come online uh, quickly enough to uh, to staunch this crisis, and will we have the supplies available to us if that is the case? I, I can say that people are working very hard 24-7 to get product uh, to uh, doctors and hospitals. But do we manufacture uh, it is being made. It is uh, being made here in the United States, and uh, uh, we just have to ramp up quickly and get it to where it's needed, and make sure that we don't, are not exporting any to other countries. A lot of these factories uh, where these these uh, products were formerly produced uh, have been shut down and mothballed. Uh, do we still have the capacity to to ramp up quickly enough? Uh, to to meet this challenge, or is that uh, are we just um, going to have to muddle through this whole crisis? Uh, there is some uh, plants that are uh, being turned on for this, but you make a good point. We've got to make sure we preserve whatever manufacturing base we have left, and not let them be torn down. That's where we're headed without investment. China already has the market share of ten percent of our generic drugs. And that's just in a decade, and they're going to increase that. So we have to make sure that we have some ability to make critical drugs because the next coronavirus or whatever hits the fan a few years from now, what, where we're making the hydroxychloroquine, it could be gone here, those plants. And we'll be left with very little capability. We can't let that happen. Rosemary Gibson's an award-winning author and advisor to uh, public health interests in healthcare. She's author of four books, including her new book, China Rx, Exposing the Risk of America's Dependence on China. You can find all of her books on Amazon, and you can find Rosemary online at rosemarygibson.org. And she's on Twitter at rosemary100. That's rosemary100. Rosemary, thanks you so much for joining us. I hope you'll come back and talk to us again. Well, thank you, Jim. And I appreciate your readers taking a look at China RX. We wrote it in the public interest. No one paid us to do it. People would pay us not to do it. And it's out there to for us to come together and fix this problem on behalf of all Americans. Thank you for all you do. Thank you, Jim. Mojo. Are 
Are you from California, Illinois, New York, Georgia, or any of the other 39 states that charge state income tax? Does your state claim you owe them any amount of back taxes? Or have you not filed in years? Is your heart pounding because you know they're wrong or you just don't have the money? Don't fight the state income tax board alone. The tax doctor is here to help you. The state is much more aggressive than the IRS in collecting taxes. They have the power to take your home, your car, your driver's and business licenses, even garnish your wages, freeze your bank accounts, and go after your spouse. Solve all your income tax problems permanently and keep more of your hard-earned money. Make this 100% guaranteed risk-free call right now. 800-631-9241. 800-631-9241. That's 800-631-9241. Land Coulter's got a great column out. It's called The Bill for Globalism Has Arrived, and it most certainly has. And I think the, uh, the Waterloo of Globalism has arrived as well. Because people are now realizing that, yeah, it's important that you manufacture your own drugs. It's important that you manufacture your own safety products. It's important to the economy that you manufacture your own means of survival. And we, we really need a close examination of exactly how we arrived at this point and who's responsible for this. We need to come back and realize the blessings that we have inherited in this country. We've got 50 states. You know, they say we have to complete, compete on a global scale, and that will keep American manufacturers uh, competitive and honest. You know, we've got 50 different states in this, this nation that we can compete against and, uh, and, and keep prices, consumer prices down because of competition. We've got uh, a fabulous infrastructure that has been allowed to crumble because we haven't had the, the money to keep it up because of globalism. We've got a legal system uh, that uh, enforces contracts and settles disputes very effectively. We were blessed, and we've got uh, two oceans that separate us from much of the rest of the world's problems. And some of the most of the problems we have is because we were we failed to secure uh, our border uh, that you know uh, on the, our southern border and and uh, possibly the way Canada's going our northern border as well. But Peter Navarro was on with uh, Donald Trump yesterday at the press conference. Peter Navarro has been toiling in the fields for many years. Sounding the alarm against this globalist um, uh, foolishness, and he was pointing out yesterday, uh, you know, when they were focused on the logistics response, just what position globalism has put us in. One of the uh, one of the things that this crisis has taught us, sir is that we are dangerously over-dependent on a global supply chain. For our medicines, like penicillin, our medical supplies, like masks, and our medical equipment, like ventilators. We have, right now, as we speak, 
over 50 countries have already imposed some forms of export restrictions in their country against the rest of the world. And what what we're learning from that is that no matter how many treaties you have, no matter how many alliances, no matter how many phone calls, uh, when push comes to shove, you run the risk as a nation of not having what you need. And if there's any vindication of the president's buy American, secure borders, and a strong manufacturing base, philosophy, strategy, and belief, it is this crisis because it underscores everything that we see there. So the buy American order, which which is going through process, would do do a couple things. It would simply say, not during this crisis, because we don't want to disrupt anything. I want to be really clear about that. But going forward, after this is over, the VA, DOD, HHS, and this government buys American for essential medicines, our medical countermeasures, and the medical supplies and equipment we need. At the same time, it will deregulate so we can get the FDA and EPA to facilitate domestic manufacturing and then innovate. Because the key here, the key here is... Having advanced manufacturing on U.S. soil that can leapfrog other countries so we don't have to worry about competing against cheap sweatshop labor, lax environmental regulations, different tax regimes, uh, and the massive subsidies of foreign governments who are actually directly attacking our industrial base. So- and it's been going on forever, and this has exposed it. And uh, kudos to Peter Navarro. The right man at the right time. Well, you know, I've been saying uh, for a long time that Tucker Carlson has become completely indispensable to the nationalist movement, to the America First movement. And we now see another example of that recently on his show. Uh, Now, (laughs) I should say, you know, I am often to an issue before Tucker Carlson is. But Tucker Carlson's got a huge production staff. He's got people to write scripts for him. And uh, obviously, he's got a far, far larger audience than I I do. But uh, the other night on his show, he was pointing out that despite this coronavirus, the Department of Homeland Security had made preparations to issue uh, another, I think it was 600, no, 35,000 H-2B visas. That's on top of the existing 660,000, they had added another 35,000 on top of that. Chad Wolf, the acting secretary of Department of Homeland Security, had authorized that. Well, just yesterday, after Tucker uh, took on the topic on his show, DHS officials have now announced that they're halting the plan to bring in those additional 35,000 H-2B visa workers. And of course, as Tucker pointed out, and as I have pointed out on this show, what those H-2B visa workers are used for every year is to drive down wages for American um, graduates in the uh, blue-collar businesses and in the tech sector. The tech sector has figured out a way um, to, to... take part in that program that was originally designed to provide agricultural workers. And, uh, and once again, uh, uh, Tucker Carlson has exposed this 
And now the administration, I, I would imagine that Donald Trump was watching and, and picked up the phone and called old Chad Wolf and said, what the hell's going on here? So Joe Biden said, we need to put a military officer in charge of our logistics response to the coronavirus. The president brought forward Rear, Rear Admiral John Polachek, uh to, uh, to yesterday's briefing. And I'm going to try to play a clip here. I'm going to try to uh, forward through to the really good part of it. This guy is uh, one, a Navy supply officer. Came up through that. It's a very specific uh, job function in the U.S. Navy. And but that's not always the case. We have to move out. But I, uh, I, I have uh, not that I don't need that from the president to, to that direction to, to move out. But I, uh, I have family in New York. My sister's a nurse practitioner in a Westchester hospital. And my niece is a nurse on a Long Island hospital. And I have other health care professionals in the family. So I have skin in this game. And uh, uh, the president asked me to get more health care workers. I'm going to get more health care workers. I hope you saw that. Uh, that guy inspired confidence and uh, shows that Joe Biden doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. So at the conference yesterday, one of the reporters asked uh, the president if he would be happy or if he would take a call from Joe Biden. And and, uh, Trump responded, absolutely, I'd love to speak with him. I've always found him to be a nice guy. I don't know him very well, frankly, but I think he's probably a nice guy. If he'd like to call, I'd absolutely take his his call. You can tell him. And Biden re- immediately responds, well, I got to set that up with my staff. They're, they're hunkered down in their war room trying to figure out how to use this opportunity to make the president look bad. He doesn't want to be helpful or constructive. We're coming up with gotcha questions that I can uh, try to use in the campaign. Well, that takes us to the end of another week of Right Now with Jim Dawes. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope you and your family stay safe over the weekend. And I hope you'll join me back here again Monday for Right Now with Jim Dawes right here on the Mojo 5.0 Radio Network. We'll talk to you then. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details.